listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, Operations Manager for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. I looked back, and you've co-hosted 45 episodes out of the 90 we've done so far, Cindy. That's exactly half and more than anyone else. <laughs> uh, you beat out our friend, Michelle Jewel Shaw, by two episodes. Not that it's a competition or anything. It's a pleasure working with both of you, and thank you so much for being an important part of Lighthearted, Cindy. Wow, 45 episodes? You're welcome. I'm honored to be part of it, so thank you. This is episode 90 of Lighthearted, scheduled for November 23rd, 2020. On November 23rd, 1873, Alligator Reef Lighthouse, offshore from the Florida Keys, was first lighted. It was named for the U.S. Navy schooner Alligator, which was part of a U.S. Navy anti-piracy squadron based in Key West. The Alligator went to ground at the reef in 1822. The schooner Alligator was blown up after removing as much as possible from it to prevent it from being used by pirates. To support the tower, a 2,000-pound hammer was used to drive iron pilings 10 feet deep into the coral. Last year, Alligator Reef Lighthouse became available to a new steward under the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act. On November 23, 1992, the first smartphone, the IBM Simon, was introduced. In addition to its ability to make and receive phone calls, Simon was also able to send and receive faxes, emails, and pages. Simon featured many applications, including an address book, calendar, appointment scheduler, calculator, world time clock, and an electronic notepad. The term smartphone wasn't created until 1995, but the Simon was retroactively called the first smartphone. On November 23, 1887, the English actor Boris Karloff was born in London. His given name was William Henry Pratt. He became best known for his roles in horror films, especially Frankenstein and The Mummy. He once said, quote, The monster was the best friend I ever had, unquote. He was referring to the monster he played in the Frankenstein movies, of course. He also said, quote, My wife has good taste. She has seen very few of my movies, unquote. <laughs> so where are we going in today's episode, Jeremy? We're heading down the New England coast to Stonington, Connecticut, to visit the oldest lighthouse museum in the United States and to talk to the executive director. Cindy, please help me tell our listeners about Stonington Lighthouse and Amy Newell. Sure, Jeremy. Stonington, Connecticut, close to the Rhode Island border, boasts many beautiful 18th and 19th century buildings and a rich history dating back to the mid-17th century when it was first settled. One of the most celebrated events in Stonington history occurred in August 1814 when outgunned townspeople repelled an attack by five British warships under the command of Commodore Thomas Hardy during the War of 1812. The town grew into a thriving port known for its shipbuilding, sealing, and whaling. The first Stonington sealing ship, the Brig Frederick, sailed to Antarctic grounds in 1818. By 1819, the town had as many as 15 vessels engaged in fishing, along with some engaged in coastal trade. Captain Nathaniel B. Palmer of the sealing sloop Hero is credited with discovering the Antarctic continent in 1820. Between the 1820s and the 1850s, Stonington also had a number of vessels engaged in whaling. 
In May 1822, Congress appropriated $3,500 for a lighthouse at the east side of the entrance to Stonington's Harbor. The new light would serve to guide vessels passing through Fisher's Island Sound as well as those headed for the harbor in Stonington. The lighthouse was first lit in 1824. The 30-foot cylindrical stone tower's fixed white light was produced by a system of 10 whale oil lamps and parabolic reflectors. By the late 1830s, the lighthouse was threatened by erosion. In 1840, a new lighthouse was built farther back from the eroding shore, largely using the stones from the earlier lighthouse. The new building consisted of a stone tower, 35 feet high, attached to a keeper's house. A granite spiral stairway led to the lantern room. In 1856, a new sixth-order Fresnel lens was installed. A new 25-foot cast-iron lighthouse was erected on a breakwater in Stonington Harbor in 1889, rendering the old lighthouse obsolete. The keeper for several years beginning in 1898 was Joseph J. Fuller, a former whaling captain from New London. In his whaling days, Fuller was once shipwrecked in the Antarctic, where he remained for a year before being rescued. He also served under Admiral Farragut during the Civil War. A small shack was provided on the breakwater, but the keepers spent most of their time living in the 1840 lighthouse dwelling. The breakwater light was replaced by a skeleton tower in 1926. The fortress-like stone lighthouse was acquired by the Stonington Historical Society in 1925. They converted the interior into a six-room museum of local history, including paintings, whaling and fishing gear, and an exhibit on the lighthouses of Long Island Sound. Visitors also get to ascend the 29 steps to the Lantern Room for a spectacular view. Amy Newell is the executive director of the Stonington Historical Society. She comes to Connecticut from Pennsylvania, where she was executive director of the Luzerne County Historical Society and also an adjunct professor of history at Wilkes University. Before that, she was director of collections for the Scottish Rite Masonic Museum and Library in Lexington, Massachusetts, and a guest curator at the American Folk Art Museum in New York City. I had the pleasure of speaking with Amy Newell in early October. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am speaking this afternoon with Amy Newell, the Executive Director of the Stonington Historical Society in Connecticut. Uh, thanks very much, Amy, for being with me today. I, I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. The Lighthouse Museum in Stonington is a place that I've been familiar with for a long time. I would say possibly the late 80s, I'm going to guess, is when I first visited there. I'd just like to start by finding out a little more about you. What exactly led you to come to the Stonington Historical Society? I have had a career as a museum curator. So I was a curator at some museum, several museums for a while. And then I got interested in the director role. Um, and I wanted to switch over to being an executive director. And I was able to do that about four years ago now. I went to the Luzerne County Historical Society in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Uh, and I really, I really love the small museum world. I love that no day is the same as any other. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps me on my toes and I learn new things every day. So I was in Northeastern Pennsylvania, but I'm originally from New England and I really missed the water. I missed New England. I missed being near the beach. I was there for about three years and I just 
you know, I wanted a little more balance between loving my job and loving where I lived. Uh, and so I was looking around and the job here in Stonington uh, came up and I just, I, you know, I just knew that it was pretty ideal about the type of place I was hoping to move to and live in. Uh, so I was really just lucky, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> came up when I was looking and I was able to come back here to New England uh, and still be at a small museum with um, that kind of director job that I love where I'm doing so many different things uh, that it had a few different properties, uh, local, you know, the emphasis on local history is really important to me. Uh, and then just to be in such a beautiful town in a beautiful setting uh, and be right near the beach. I Every day I'm so happy when I can <laughs> smell that low tide smell. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned you're you're from New England originally. Where were you from? Uh, I grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Yeah, but my family we had a, a summer house at the Cape, and so uh-huh. I spent. Yeah, my unfortunately my parents have sold that, and uh, they don't live there anymore. But I so while I grew up in Western Mass, I spent a lot of time at the Cape as well. Oh, neat. I was going to say when you said Amherst, I was going to say, well, that's not very close to the ocean. But uh, <laughs> no. where where on on Cape Cod was the place? Uh, Northeast Ham. Right near the well. Oh, sure. Line. Yeah. And near a, a bunch of lighthouses in that area, too, of course. Yes. So, uh, yeah. and I want to ask you about that, but what uh, you mentioned uh, that there are other properties under the Stonington or maintained by the Stonington Historical Society. What are the other sites besides the Lighthouse Museum? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, the Lighthouse Museum, of course. And then we have the Captain Nathaniel Palmer House. Uh, which was built in 1852, and it is both uh, open seasonally as a museum, but it's also our administrative offices. And right next door on the same property, we have our Woolworth Library and Research Center. And then we also own the Arcade and the Ocean Bank buildings, which are in the borough of Stonington, not too far from the lighthouse. Those are rented, so they are not open as museums, but we do uh, own and maintain those as well. The borough of Stonington is a, a cozy little old village in a, in a way. I, I always enjoy going there. And there's so much yeah. history. Yeah, we'll talk about the history in a minute. But I'm wondering, uh, you say you spent a lot of time when you were young on Cape Cod, where there are many lighthouses, but uh, were lighthouses an interest for you before you took this position? Were they on your radar, basically, before that? <laughs> I mean, I've been to a few. I'm not quite as diehard about it as some people, but I do, you know, I do sort of love, I do love them as a symbol of the of the sea and the coast. Um, I also uh, worked at the Nantucket Historical Association early in my career. Oh. And of course, the lighthouses there have a very long and, and um, important history. And so, so it was exciting to be to have a job where we have a lighthouse. I it did. It, I did. You know, it was kind of an exciting part of the job for me. Um, and I've had, it's so funny. I tell museum friends and they're almost all of them are like, you have a lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's sort of a point of pride to be able to say, yes, we do. <laughs> sure. Let's let's talk a little bit about the history of the lighthouse. Stonington has tremendous maritime history. Uh, could you tell us what are some of the factors that led to the lighthouse being established in 1824? Sure. And uh, keep in mind, I am still learning. I just came on here in January, <laughs> but um, I've read some about the treacherous nature of getting into Stonington Harbor. So in the early 1800s, when they had really started to settle and, and fish and um, start to use the harbor more, my understanding is that there are quite a lot of reefs and shoals under there, both from Fisher's Island Sound and to get into the harbor. I've read about how even in 1819 or um, the early 1800s, there were no instructions in navigation guides about how to get into the harbor. 
there were some improvised markers. I think there are some good stories about that. But really, it was it was pretty difficult. By uh, 1819, they did have a pilot boat that would guide vessels in. Um, but I'm sure that was kind of limited in how much traffic you could really handle. And they were starting to have more fishing and more packets to New York. And then, of course, transporting cheese and grain and produce uh, was becoming a very busy harbor. And so but it was still very dangerous trying to get in and out around those um, difficult spots there under the water. I understand that whaling uh, was was big. There are whaling ships uh, coming out of uh, Stonington. Also, sealing, is that correct? Do I remember that right? Yeah, so Captain Palmer, the Palmer House that we have, um, he was a he was in sealing initially, and when he was 21 in 1820, 200 years ago, he is often uh, credited with being the first to sight Antarctica while he was captain of a sealing boat, the hero, when he was 21. Um, he, I think he more sailed, his ship sailed more out of New York rather than Stonington proper, but there was whaling and sealing um, that was coming out of this area for sure. And yeah, and again, it's sort of uh, exciting to me to be back here where all of my whaling knowledge from my Nantucket days, um, I can, I feel like I can kind of hold my own. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nantucket being the whaling capital of the world for, what, about a century? For a while, yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the history of the lighthouse. Are there any particular stories of keepers uh, <laughs> that you find especially interesting? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to be uh, kind of predictable here and say the Potters, who were the first, you know, he, William Potter was the first keeper. Um, and I, you know, I have to give a nod to his wife, uh, Patty, because when he, so our lighthouse uh, was built in 1840. He unfortunately died in 1842. And then his wife took over being the keeper. And uh, I think it's such a great story about women's history, which of course has traditionally been understudied. I think we're making a lot of progress there. Um, and then the fact that they had, I think they had eight children total. And when they moved in uh, to the lighthouse in 1840, they were still living, six of their children were still living with them. So if you've been to the lighthouse, it's not a huge building. And you think about six of their kids and the two parents um, and how that must have been. Um, it's certainly, it's one of the things I think about when I'm down there a lot about how it would be to live in there with, uh, what is that, seven other people? <laughs> so I think it's a really interesting story that, you know, there's a lot of um, good primary sources about their time there. I mean, there's a, there's sort of a famous story about Patty and how she was kind of derided in the records as being a really bad housekeeper. Um, I have started to wonder, is that, you know, has that become a story that's just gotten repeated a lot? I keep, I keep thinking that I should go back and dig into that a little more. Um, I know there's some sources about it, but I guess it kind of makes me want to go back and look at the, look at that more. But then again, you think, you know, she had the, many children, she was a widow, she was doing the actual keeper's work. Um, you know, I don't think we should judge her too harshly for falling behind on her housework a little bit. One of the other keepers, uh, this is sort of an interesting story, uh, was uh, Henry Burgess. And I don't think he, well, I guess he was there. He was there for about eight years. Um, but when we were just doing the work on the lighthouse, well, we'll I know we'll talk about that shortly. We uh, uncovered some, uh, you know, I guess I would call it graffiti, although it was, you know, it was just, it was a name painted on one of the rafters. And it said E. Burgess. And then we also found inside the wall uh, sort of a cardboard sign that was uh, painted in black ink. And it said E. Burgess Lighthouse Keeper or something to that effect. Huh. And so when we yeah, when they when they pulled that up, we all said, huh. And so we went and looked and we knew Henry Burgess was 
the keeper. Um, his wife's name was Eliza. And it seems weird that she would have signed the rafter and, you know, put E. Burgess on a some kind of cardboard sign lighthouse keeper. But then they had a son named Edward, and he was uh, ages seven. He, he lived there from the age of seven to the age of 15 uh, when his father was the keeper. So I kind of wonder, was he the one up in the second floor on, you know, painting his name on the rafter? <laughs> so again, it's a little bit of a, of a less fleshed out story, but it definitely piqued my interest when we were finding these little tidbits inside the building. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the architecture of the lighthouse. It's uh, pretty unique. I always think of the lighthouse as a little castle. Some people think it looks like a church. Uh, are there any special architectural features that you think make the the building interesting? Yeah, I, you know, this is an interesting question. I you know, I'm such a literal thinker and I, you know, so when I when I approach it, I just think it's a lighthouse. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I know they come in like lots of different shapes and sizes, of course. And so, I mean, I really think it's interesting, the tower, how it's eight sided and all that granite that they had to heft up there to make the tower. Definitely during the project that we just did, the construction project, it was interesting because, you know, and this may be me seeing the trees instead of the forest, but I, it was just so interesting to see some of the things they turned up uh, when they really took parts of the building, you know, uncovered parts of the building. One of my favorite things that we looked at, uh, that we found was that the L in the back that was added in, we think the 1870s, they took down part of the wall back there. And the original exterior wall was, of course, underneath, and it was still whitewashed. And it's, to me, that was really exciting because you see so many f images and postcards of our lighthouse when it was whitewashed white all the way around because it isn't right now. But there was the whitewash from the 1870s when they put that addition on. Uh, and it was, you know, I love that kind of thing as a, as a museum curator and museum person to be able to say, hey, you know, you're not just looking at an old picture, but here you can come into the lighthouse and see that original or uh, period finish uh, that was left behind. So it's not really architectural, but I think in terms of aspects of the of the actual building, I really that was really exciting. And of course, I, you know, just looking at the building as an um, again, this is I'm a curator. I look at the building as object. So I really like to look at some of those you know pieces of it to sort of see how it evolved over time and the story of of how it looked in the past or how it's changed um, as it's as it's come down to us. I really think it's a it's a beautiful building, and it's it's unlike any other lighthouse that that I've ever seen. And you know, every lighthouse is unique in some way, but there tend to be sort of you know siblings. There are groups of lighthouses that you built around the same time that look similar, but there's no other lighthouse that looks like yours. I think it's pretty special. Let's talk a little bit about the early history of uh, how the Stonington Historical Society got involved, and the the uh, lighthouse was developed into a museum. How did that come about? Sure. So it's a little bit, I think, luck, you know, when you start to look at history, it's, it, you know, you sort of start to appreciate and respect <laughs> sort of that little extra, you know, that extra piece that gets in there. So the, as I said, the lighthouse was built in 1840. Uh, it was used uh, as a lighthouse until 1889. And then they did stop using it as a lighthouse. It was the still the keeper's house. So the keepers kept living there. They were rowing out to the breakwater because um, they put a beacon out there. Um, and so they, but they were able to, they stayed, they lived in the lighthouse and then they would just row out to the breakwater for the lighthouse duties uh, until 1908. And then they built a keeper's house next door. So in 1908, they built that house and the keepers moved into that. And so then the original, our, our lighthouse, the 1840 light,
Lighthouse kind of was a little bit left to languish from 1908 to 1925. And I think it was starting to kind of show age and have some issues. So around uh, 1914, which was the centennial of the Battle of Stonington. So during the War of 1812, there was, believe it or not, a battle in Stonington Harbor between the British and the Americans, which is highly celebrated here in Stonington still. And so 1914 was a big year. It was the centennial. And they planned some big celebrations. The Historical Society had been formed in 1895, but it too had sort of started to languish. And then the centennial came along and it really seems to have reinvigorated the Historical Society. So after that, after the work they did for the centennial, they started to say, gee, maybe we want to keep going and we are starting to get you know to collect historical relics and antiques and we might want to have a place to keep them and show them so over a period of about 10 years there were some different options explored and you know two steps forward one step back and it kind of just worked out that the government decided it was going to let go of the lighthouse property uh in 19 i'm trying to remember 1923 24 somewhere in there and the historical society said, hey, that could be a really good site for us. Um, they had had some conversations over those 10 years about it, but it had never happened. So in 1925, it finally all worked out. The society put in a bid. The government was selling the building. The society put in a bid for, I believe it was $3,650, $3,650. And they were the only bidders. Wow. <laughs> and so... Uh, we took on the historic, the took on the lighthouse and did some renovations and turned it into a museum. And it's, uh, as far as we know, it is the first lighthouse to be used as a museum in the United States. And we continue that tradition. They did in the 1930s use it as a tea room. Um, I'm a little sad that I can't travel back in time and experience that because I think it's fantastic. So there, they did do that for a little bit, but mostly we, it has been a museum ever since. So we're, and we're starting to look ahead to 2025, which will be the centennial of the society taking on the lighthouse. I didn't know about the tea room thing. That's really interesting. <laughs> huh. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I wish I could go back to that too. Uh, I'm hoping you can clarify something for me. Uh, mostly over the years, I've seen it referred to as the old lighthouse museum, but it seems like more recently it's just lighthouse museum. Like the old has been dropped uh, from the name. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, the, I think it's rather recent. Again, I've been with the society since January, so I'm a definite newbie. Yeah. We have been calling it the lighthouse museum. Okay. Yeah. I, I kind of got used to calling it the old lighthouse museum, but I'll, <laughs> I'll drop the old from it from now on. It's a great little museum. I always enjoy going there. There's a lot, uh, there's quite a bit of lighthouse material. There's also a lot on local history. But what are some of the popular exhibits in the museum? So this is where you have a little bit of an advantage on me because when I started in on January 2nd, everything had been taken out of the lighthouse. Oh, right, right. <laughs> for the project. So I've seen photos and it definitely had that cabinet of curiosities feeling from what I can see. Yeah. Um, I certainly can appreciate uh, many of the objects from the photos. And again, my experience on Nantucket, I'm familiar with, you know, the, the harpoons and the Fresnel lens and um, portraits and all, of, all those things. So we are currently working on plans to put exhibits back in. We know we're going to do one about Venture Smith, who was an African-American man who came as a came to this country as a slave. And while he was in Stonington, he 
fought his freedom. Um, we also were going to have a space devoted to the Battle of Stonington that I mentioned from war, the War of 1812. And then we are definitely going to have, probably in the, in the main room, talk about Stonington and the sea and really look at the various ways that the sea has has um, played a role in Stonington history, you know, as a leisure destination, as a livelihood, food source, uh, and use and use many of those items from our collections that were there. Uh, we are also hoping now that we have finished the restoration and have air conditioning to be able to do uh, some changing exhibitions. So it's a little bit of a work in progress. So it will definitely cover many of the same themes and share the same objects, but we also are looking to change it up a bit and um, explore some areas uh, to give a little more context to Stonington's history. You mentioned the Fresnel lens. Uh, you do have a, a beautiful lens in the collection uh, that's uh, been on display, along with a uh, kind of a, a panel uh, about, I think it was Long Island Sound Lighthouses. Is yeah, that, we, that mm -hmm. came that came down and we weren't able to save it. So that, that but I think we, we will, we will have some space about the light, you know, what mm -hmm. is the lighthouse, the lighthouse itself? What is it? What was its purpose? Why do we have them? Um, and the lighthouse keepers, we will also have some some information about that. Yeah, you mentioned the Fresnel lens in the collection. It's a fourth order lens, beautiful example. It's, if I remember correctly, I don't think anybody knows for sure what lighthouse that came from, but uh, which is not that uncommon a thing, but it's a, it's a beautiful uh, lenses like that are always kind of a, a, a centerpiece for museums. So it's great that you have that. Let's talk about the 1.3 million dollar correct me if that figure isn't quite right but uh the major restoration project you just had completed this was i understand part of a first part of a larger project uh, there's quite a bit more planned can you tell us what's been done so far um sure so this part was the restoration part so when the lighthouse was built in 1840 uh, it's pretty interesting reading about the history because uh, there was one uh, there's one uh, quote that I always you know kind of piques my interest always um, a gentleman who was uh, needing to replace the roof in the it was shortly after it was built and he was writing to someone to try and get a price about replacing the roof and he himself said that the building was shameful built that was his <laughs> quote <laughs> so they really you know when they it was the government you know make whatever government joke you would like to make about when they built it but the sources definitely show that it was not the most well-constructed building shall we say uh and so we knew that it needed some work particularly structurally um and and the society had known this for for some time and so of course it was a priority because we wanted to be able to shore it up and and keep it with us for another you know 200 years uh at least so the first part of the project was a lot of taking up the floor floors taking down you know taking down the walls um we really you know ripped open the the inside of it to, to get in there. And sure enough, when they did that, you could see where where these people back in the 1840s, 1860s uh, were correct, that it had not really been built very well. So it needed, um, it did need even a little bit of extra uh, structural work once we started the project, which is not unusual, obviously, for an old building. Um, and so now it is structurally sound, which is wonderful. Um, I think we all feel pretty good that we were able to do that because it definitely was becoming an urgent situation. Uh, the other big part of the most recent project 
project was to install air conditioning and humidity control. Uh, because it has been a lighthouse, it's been a museum in a lighthouse. And we, the society made that choice quite early on. And we are still committed to that. Um, we felt pretty strongly that we needed to protect the collections that we show inside um, and, and preserve those objects as well. So now it is a building that has humidity and air and air conditioning and um, heating as well. It did have some, it did have heating, but it's been much, much improved in terms of efficiency and in terms of the conditions that we can create in there. So again, I had mentioned that we would really like to start doing some changing exhibitions, and this gives us more possibilities about what we can bring and show in that building. I think too, it will allow us to do, you know, do a little more programming there. Uh, we, we, we are usually open seasonally, and it was, again, hard to really have optimum heating conditions. So now that we fixed that, I think um, I like the fact that we could do some things in the off season for the community to to have them come in and see it as well. Um, so that was the project mm -hmm. so far. Um, what the, the second piece is to make it accessible for everyone. The lighthouse has never been physically accessible. And so we are working on plans about how to do that so that everyone can come in uh, and see the first floor at a minimum. Great. So w what happens next? To and well, when when does the next phase begin? So with the pandemic, we are in a we've had to make some changes and sort of we're taking a little period here to rethink in the new reality of our world <laughs> yep. um, about how we're going to how we're going to proceed next. We are working on a plan. Sure. Sounds like a sounds like a plan, <laughs> plan to have a plan. Uh, but I understand completely what you're saying. Uh, it has been, of course, a, a really unusual year. I don't need to tell anybody that. Many lighthouses, I would say most of the lighthouses in, in the New England region uh, and many other attractions have been closed this year, are open in very limited ways. But uh, I understand your museum, the Lighthouse Museum, actually reopened in August. We opened August 28th. Yes. Yeah. So how's that going? Have you had many visitors? Uh, it's going it's going well. It's going well. We we really wanted to open. We had so many people um, when they come to Stonington, they are down at the point. And even when the construction workers were there and every time I would be down there, we would be disappointing people who would come to the door <laughs> and say, can I come in? <laughs> um, so it was really hard. Um, so we were very we were really happy to open. We had opened the Palmer House in mid-July once the state had allowed museums to open. It's one of the things, I, again, I love about small museums. Uh, it's a little bit easier for us. I think we have an advantage than some of the larger museums because we tend to get smaller groups at a time and we don't have you know crowds of thousands coming per day. So we were able to work with the state guidelines and require require that people wear masks. And it was you know not too too bad for us because again, like I said, we tend to get smaller groups that come at a time. So at the lighthouse, we do ask that people wear masks and we allow about 10 to 12 people in at a time to have some social distancing in the building. Um, if you want to go up to the um, to the top of the tower, uh, we let a maximum of three people at a time, but you probably want to go with people you're close to because it's 
you've been there. It's, <laughs> it's not the biggest space in the world up there. Um, but we do are letting people go up there. As I mentioned, we have not, we're still working on the exhibit. So right now it's kind of an exciting chance to go in and see the building. Like I said, the building as object, the building as itself. Right. Um, we have a few, we have a few items, uh, that are on view, but it's, it's really a chance to kind of go and see the space, feel the space. We, with the guides, we have been talking about, the history of the lighthouse and and talking about that story of the keepers living there because it does give you i think a better ability when you're there right now to be able to see how it was when people were living there because right. um, you're just looking at the walls and the space you're not seeing the objects one thing that always stands out for me is the beautiful stone stairway and the tower and of course everybody <laughs> who goes into the museum uh, gets to go up to the top of those stairs to enjoy the amazing view from there, which t to me is one of the best things about the place. Three, yeah, you can see three states from up there. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, and actually we did, as as part of the project, we did do quite a bit of repointing to the stone on the outside too. So oh, mm -hmm. um, that, I should have mentioned that too. Um, and it's, yeah, I think that's definitely people's favorite part is to be able to go up there and see that view um, and check that out. And so, yeah, so we've had we've had quite a few visitors. And again, we've, we really appreciate everyone being so cooperative in following the masks and social distancing rules. We don't um, obviously our public restroom isn't open and uh, we're pretty limited. We don't really have much of a gift shop. But in terms of letting people in and giving them a little bit of history about the lighthouse, uh, and that chance to see the view has been very successful. I'm going to throw a little bit of a surprise question at you here. And I, if you if you choose not to answer it or can't answer it or don't want to answer it or whatever, I'll, I'll probably edit this out. But uh, let okay. me ask you, I, I know uh, one of the times I was in there, uh, a docent or, or a person working at the the uh, you know the the desk or counter there where you come in, uh, I was chatting with her and she told me the place is haunted. Uh, she seemed pretty certain about it. Do you have any comment on that subject? I am a huge skeptic. All my years of, of museum work has may have made me a huge skeptic. <laughs> but um, I think she's probably not the only one who thinks that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, uh, man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Hey, I, I yeah. welcome people to come and like, you know, see, see how it feels. Yeah. I just, I have to say, uh, you know, it's really funny. I, I have this conversation with, with my colleagues fairly, you know, fairly often at, at previous museums. And, and even here, I have a couple of colleagues, as I said, our offices are in the Palmer house and I've got a couple of colleagues who, when it, when the days get shorter, they, they really want to go home on time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you guys, <laughs> there's nothing. Well, so, yeah. you know, you kind of have to make up your own mind. <laughs> oh, sure. That's always the case. And, you know, I, I will say that, uh, you know, I'm very, I've uh, been very wrapped up in Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse right near where I live here. And it has, has a lot of ghost stories. In fact, it's been featured on national TV for that kind of thing. I'll just say that uh, I completely uh, understand your skepticism. But I always call myself an open-minded skeptic because I've had some experiences that are not that easy to explain. But I, I think it's good to be skeptical. It's, a, it's healthy to be skeptical. But I also think it's good to be open-minded. But it's, it's, it's fun. Another thing I always tell people uh, at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse when people ask about it, I always say, well, you know, you can make up your own mind. But whatever you believe about that. I feel that the spirits of the lighthouse keepers of the past are with us, whether you know whether it's literally or figuratively. Uh, and in your case, it's not just the lighthouse keepers, but the 
figures from the history of Stonington are there in spirit one way or another, let's say. Definitely. I, I, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, I've certainly recommended the, the museum to people and in my books and, and talking to people, uh, it's, I think it's a place that any lighthouse buff should want to visit if they're anywhere in that area. And, uh, would you like to add anything to that? Why, why should lighthouse buffs want to come to that museum? I think you've mentioned some of it. Uh, the fact that it is a unique, a unique lighthouse that it's not like, you know, it's not really the same as any, as any others. I think the, I mean, for me, the location is so beautiful. I mean, I suppose that's true of many lighthouses, but you know, we're so fortunate to have that green space around it. And I think it's just so, such a great place to, you know, take a little walk, stretch your legs, you know, both outside and reflect and look at, be able to really look at the building from the outside, as well as to go inside and go up in the tower. And it's, uh, again, once we, once we, as we work on those exhibits, it will really be a wonderful place to go and get a real overview of not only the history of the building and the, and the lighthouse, but also the town of Stonington and how the lighthouse and the maritime uh, activities fit into the story of the town. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful place to, to be. That absolutely is. I have one final question for you for bonus points. Sure. Uh, okay. Uh, so get your number two pencil ready. Uh, <laughs> actually, this will be an oral oral answer. Um, what has been your favorite thing so far about your involvement with the Lighthouse Museum in Stonington? Oh, I feel like I just gave it away. Being able to be down there with the water. Definitely my favorite thing is to go down there and see and, you know, how, you know, how's the wind? How's, where's the tide? Um, who, you know, are there boats? Can I see, can I see all the way to Watch Hill or is the fog rolling in? Um, and then to be able to go up in that tower and look out over, you know, Rhode Island and Connecticut and Long Island Sound and have a bird's eye view of Stonington. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good to me. And uh, I, I can just tell you personally how much I've enjoyed my visits there. I Last time was just, uh, I believe it was last year. I, I wasn't planning on it, but I was, you know, I had to go somewhere else on the Connecticut coast. And as I was driving home, I thought, I'm going to go to Stonington today. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it just always feels feels very special uh, to, I'm sure, to, to many, many people. So, Amy Newell, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, and congratulations on the project that was recently completed, and good luck with the, the next phase of all that. But again, thanks so much for spending this time with me today. Thank you very much. In the interview with Amy Newell, she mentioned the Battle of Stonington in the War of 1812. Here's some more detail about what happened. On the evening of August 9, 1814, a British naval squadron consisting of three ships began bombarding the small settlement at Stonington Point. Two more British ships arrived to take part in the bombardment on the next day, and over the course of four days, about 50 tons of explosives rained down on the town. Cannons were fired at the British ships from a small fort. On the morning of August 13th, the British left, having been unsuccessful in their attempts to land ashore. 21 British were killed and more than 50 were wounded. Nobody in Stonington was killed and only about 8 to 10 houses were damaged. 
The British departure was an occasion for celebration and has been celebrated in August almost every year since 1815. Two of the cannons used in the battle are on display in Cannon Square in the borough of Stonington. Thanks again to Amy Newell and the Stonington Historical Society for today's interview. Go online to stoningtonhistory.org to learn more about the Lighthouse Museum and the other properties managed by the Historical Society. Thanks as always to the staff, members, and volunteers of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and all its affiliates and chapters. Go to uslhs.org to read about all the things the Society has to offer. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider a membership or donation to help support it. Thanks to everyone everywhere who works to preserve lighthouses and other history. And thanks to all those who support the preservation of lighthouses in any way. What you do is important and very much appreciated. We're all on the same team. Thanks for co-hosting today, Cindy. And to everyone, as always, thanks for listening and... Keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine